I'm excited for what the Lord has for us this morning, um, because as many of you are familiar with, the Lord has had us on this trajectory of, of really discovering and journeying into who He is and even what His will is amongst us and how that works together for us to work and cooperate with Him work hand in hand with what the Lord is doing in us. And today, with the message that we're going to hear, I believe it's going to take us even one step further into learning how we work hand in hand with the Lord. A good friend of mine by the name of Pastor Dave Gaduri is here to share with us. And Pastor Dave has um, been a, he was a pastor at Cranston Christian Fellowship Church uh, for 40 years. He served there faithfully in Cranston. And just two years ago, was it, stepped down from there and now serves as the executive director for a ministry called Fluvio, what's going on, brother? Good to see you, man. He now, he now serves a ministry called uh, Together. And what Together does is it works in partnership with churches all around Rhode Island, as well as Southeastern Mass, to pull them together and say, how can we work together? How can we pray for one another to intentionally reach the, our communities and those within our reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And he's been building up amazing steam and momentum with that. It's really exciting. I'm sure we're going to hear a little bit more about that this morning. So, Pastor Dave, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. It's a joy to be able to be with you and share with you. We got to worship with you uh, some weeks ago, months ago now. My wife and I, since we started working full-time with this Together Partnership, have uh, worshipped with a different congregation around Rhode Island every Sunday. So we're up to over 60 uh, congregations of believers of small and large and everything in between, and uh, all sharing this common commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, as Ed said, I've been pastor for a number of years there in Cranston, but along the way, there were a bunch of us that came together in 2010 to form this partnership because we were convinced that some things needed to change. And what needed to change was that, first of all, we would become much more intentional and united in our praying for people who did not know Jesus and to develop a relationship of, of praying for them so that they might come to discover uh, our Savior. And then along the way, secondly, we wanted to see a change within the culture of our churches so that instead of living for ourselves and for whatever we had going on, we would understand that our reason for existing is the people out there and how we connect with them and how we love them and how we serve them. And then thirdly, we wanted to make sure that along the way we discovered better ways of being able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to noise about this wonderful message that, that we carry that's changed our lives. And this uh, commitment was desperately needed. I don't have to tell you that this is not a place that's particularly friendly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Rhode Island, there are estimated roughly 2% of the population who would be what we call an evangelical Christian. That is, they understand that Jesus Christ is the answer, that he died for them, and they have an understanding faith in his gospel. And so there's uh, obvious ways that plays out where we see our culture missing the real point of why God made us. And we're just part of the bigger stream of what's happening across our whole country where uh, we've become more and more secularized. God gets pushed out to the edges. 
People increasingly are even unaffiliated with any kind of religious background. If they fill out a survey, you know, are you a this or a that or the other? And then the last category is none of the above. And they say that category of the nuns is getting bigger and bigger. Like people just don't even connect. And then culturally, our values consequently are getting farther and farther away from some of those Christian standards that were pretty much assumed to be true in our society. And those values are being challenged. And then worst of all, people who are outspoken in their faith in Jesus Christ and trying to be a follower of Jesus are not just marginalized, but now they're even suspect. There's like a hostility like there's some some big question mark over you if you presume to speak the name of Jesus Christ. That's the world we live in. And if you're a church person and a follower of Jesus, it could very easily make you ask the question to yourself, could we possibly change a world like this? A world that's getting so bad, are we really going to make any difference? Like why are we even here? And as I've thought about that question, it made me go back to a passage of scripture and it's the passage of Scripture that I would like us to look at this morning. I hope you brought a Bible. If you didn't, you'll listen carefully. Because we're going to be in the book of Acts, fourth, a fifth book of the New Testament, chapter 3. And if you have your Bible, why don't you open to that passage. Third chapter of Acts. And before we get into it, let me just offer a prayer that we might open ourselves up to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. Would you join me in that prayer? Oh, Lord God, we thank you that you know how blind we are apart from light that comes from you. Thank you that in Jesus Christ, light has shone out of the darkness, and he has made God known to us and his ways. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come now to be our teacher, that you'd make us willing and receptive and open to what you want to say. We yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 3, I'm going to read these first 10 verses, and then we're going to talk about some of the things we learn and a few of the verses that follow as well. Acts 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid at the gate of the temple, that's called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. <laughs> and that's an amazing story of a change that happened to one person. That story answers that question, can we change the world? 
Yes, we can. One person at a time. Some years ago, I came across a rendition of a painting, an old painting by an artist named Nicholas Poussin. And the painting depicts this very scene that we've just read about. It's entitled, Peter and John on the Steps of the Temple. If you notice, I've circled this central part of the scene here. Uh, this is Peter and John reaching out to that man to say, take up your bed and walk. I've wondered why would an artist devote such attention to this particular scene in the Bible? And it strikes me that this artist somehow understood the significance of this moment. Because it's going to be in this moment will start a revolution that's going to ultimately turn their world completely upside down. Acts 2 is hugely important when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, but it didn't stop there, and it's in Acts 3 that we learn how the Holy Spirit began to work in God's people so that they could do that very thing. And so what began here turned out over the course of the next 250 years to be a societal revolution in which the pagan Roman Empire became one that was filled with thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of followers of Jesus, and by the fourth century completely flipped that empire from a pagan one to one that it was least in name, a Christian empire. And this was the birth of what we call Western civilization as really our, our, our Christian land. Had it start there on the steps of that temple. Because one life was changed. So when we consider this question, can we change the world, I believe that the answer is yes, provided we're willing to do what they did. And here in this chapter, we have kind of a template, sort of our marching orders. What is it that we need to do in order to see Aquidneck Island changed? To see even your family changed? and to see our country changed. How's this going to come about? <clears throat> Here are three lessons. First, devote yourself to prayer. If you go to verse 1 of our text, that's exactly what Peter and John were doing. They're on their way to the temple. Why? Because they knew that was a great place to meet with other followers of God and pray. And they wanted to devote themselves to do this. What they were doing here is exactly what Jesus had taught them to do. And it's what in Acts chapter 1 we find they were already doing. They're gathered in that upper room. Acts 1.14, what are they doing? They're devoting themselves to prayer. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. Thousands put their faith in Jesus. And they continue meeting together, devoting themselves to prayer. Because Jesus told them, that they could ask the Father whatever they would in his name, and he would answer them. And so there they are committed to this. So do we have some lessons here about how to do this? Because as Peter and John are going up to this prayer place, this is something that any godly Jewish person would have done all their life. They've done it before. They've gone up there, and, and they've probably recited some of the same prayers that you could hear today in a synagogue here in Newport or in Providence. But Jesus had taught them how to pray. So they had to be asking themselves, oh, wait a minute, we're going to go pray. How are we going to do it now? We're going to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. And what he taught them to do was to pray kingdom prayers. I wonder if you pray like that. Do you pray kingdom prayers? 
You say, well, Dave, what do you mean? Well, Jesus said to pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We glorify God. And then our first request, may your kingdom come. Jesus reigns. He's the king, but he wants his kingdom to be manifested right here where we live. What does it mean to ask God to do that? Here's what I think a kingdom prayer is. I think it starts with us asking God that Jesus Christ would be the king of our own lives. Well, you know, he's already in my life, but Lord, there's parts of my life that you need to take ownership of. You need to reign over. We're, we want Jesus Christ to be our king in a greater way. And so we never stop praying that prayer. Lord, would your kingdom come in me? Would you reign over me? But as we do that, we can't help but think about people who don't know who he is. They're not in that relationship with Jesus. They don't know that he's their king. And so a kingdom prayer is to ask God, Lord, would you start opening up the hearts of these people around me? The people that I know, the people that I work with, the people that I live next to, would you change them so that they're open to receiving Jesus as their king? And then as I pray a kingdom prayer, I'm asking God ultimately that Jesus Christ might become the king over them, that he would reign over them. I'll give you an example of how I've been challenged to pray kingdom prayers. I stumbled upon a website a while ago. You could look it up this afternoon. It's called blesseveryhome.com. And if you go to blesseveryhome.com, within five minutes, you can start doing what I've been doing. Because they will ask you, how many of your neighbors would you like to pray for and see come to faith in Jesus? Like, how big is your faith? I was My faith was small. So I said, I'll start with five. Across the street, over there, and next door on either side. So, so all I needed to do was to put in my address on their website, and bingo, the names of five of my neighbors pop up and their houses. So I didn't even know my neighbor's name. They do. <laughs> and, and there it is. And a little icon on a map that reminds me to pray for them. Every day in my email, I get a reminder to pray for those five people. I'm praying a kingdom prayer. And by the way, the icons can change because if I do some other stuff, they can move towards having faith in Jesus. But that's another whole story. Pray kingdom prayers. Secondly, pray with others. You know, prayer is a challenge. Our flesh doesn't want to do it. That's why we need to encourage each other. It says that Peter and John were going up to the steps of the temple. Because Jesus said, I read this this morning in God's Word, if two or three of you agree on earth concerning anything you ask, it shall be done. So there's something about coming together to pray. Something about being on the same page with others to pray. I'm really excited about something God led us to do a number of months ago because we learned that uh, this was happening in other cities and we said, well, why can't we do that? Where there is prayer being offered, kingdom prayers being offered 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for the people in our community. We said, how could we do that? Well, the way you do that is you get a church like this one to adopt just one day out of the month. They pick the second Wednesday, say. And another church picks another day. I'll take the third Wednesday. And another church takes another day. And we've got now 28 churches that have adopted one of the days of the month. And on their day, 
What they do is raise up some people who are willing to adopt an hour, or if they're taking a half a day, less of a, whatever it is, half a day, whole day, but they, they have their little segment of that day, and during that hour, that's what they're doing. They're praying wherever they are, in their basement, in their home, at their bedroom, during their lunch break, whatever. But they're just praying in one accord with all these other people. So this is going on today. It happened yesterday. It happened the day before. There's now thousands of Christians around Rhode Island that are praying for Jesus Christ to become the king over more and more people around us. And that's doing exactly what Peter and John were doing. Another lesson here is to pray with expectancy, to believe that something's actually going to happen. You know, a lot of Christians have been praying for revival in New England for decades. And man, like... Are we ever going to see the answer to this? It's coming. But we need to believe that God's going to do something. And I believe that that kind of faith was in the heart of Peter and John. When Peter said, look at us, what was he expecting God to do? To be honest, I'm not sure that Peter exactly knew. He knew what Jesus had done. He knew that he was now being sent out in Jesus' name. He knew that he'd gone out with the mission of the 70 to do some of this stuff, but he wasn't quite sure. But he knew that Jesus was real and God was going to show up and do something. And so he took that leap of faith to say, get up and walk. So we need to pray with an expectancy. Don't get discouraged. Keep asking God, Lord, would you work? You know, you've been praying for your brother-in-law for 22 years. God's not done with him. You've been praying for your child, and they seem so rebellious, but God can still work in their life. You keep doing it. And then a final lesson about prayer here is that we need to pray habitually. It's interesting that they went up at the hour of prayer. You know, somebody figured out a calendar and said, well, how about 3 o'clock? <laughs> I don't know what their hour was, but they had a specific time to do that, a discipline. Prayer is a discipline. I think that's a good thing. You need a time and a place when prayer is going to be in your life, whether it's 5 minutes or 55 minutes, but you've got a time when you're praying. You as a congregation need to invite some to come together when they can pray, or in some churches, in multiple places, in homes, but there's a place and a time when we are going to be asking God to do His work. So that's what we need to do if we're going to see change, is devote ourselves to prayer. Become a praying church. Become a praying follower of Jesus. But prayer by itself is not enough. God wants us to go to the next step. What's the next step? You need to show people that you care. You care about the things that they care about. You care about the problems that they're having. And this brings us in our story to that moment when it says in verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him. Picture it. He's going up the steps of the temple, and here's this man. Luke tells us that this man has been laid on those steps of the temple every day. How many times did Jesus go to the temple to teach? How many times were his disciples there with him? Many times. Every single time, they walked right past this man. But suddenly, today, they decide to take a look. They pay attention. They notice. You see, caring for people's practical needs is doing exactly what Jesus did. The Bible says that he was mighty in word and deed. 
We have a friend named Dennis, and Dennis has an interesting saying. The saying is that good works lead to goodwill, and goodwill leads to good words. So when we're willing to do something practical, tangible, real, that someone else can see, and we do it in the name of Jesus Christ, what that does is to create some goodwill where there may have been a little suspicion. What are you, some kind of a Jesus freak? I don't know, a Bible thumper? I don't want any brother. You know, all kinds of prejudices, whatever questions, misconceptions they may have, those can start falling down when they, when they see you coming alongside to help. So how do we do this? How do we demonstrate to people that we care? Well, we need to do what these brothers did. First, open your eyes. Fix your gaze on the problems. You see, a lot of problems, especially in America, where we've learned how to paste over the problems, Everything, everybody looks pretty good. There's no problems around me. <laughs> Everybody's got a job, going to work, seem pretty healthy. We need to go looking for the problems. We need to be willing to notice what's going on. There are suffering, hurting people all around us if we would just pay attention. If we would just see, they ask God to open their eyes. So when we open our eyes to see problems, uh, the reality is that you might see more than you thought were there, and you might actually get discouraged. Like, man, this is worse than I thought. Oh, it's like pouring water on the desert sands. Nothing that I could do could ever make any difference. Why bother? And that's what a lot of Christians have said to themselves. The world is so bad, only Jesus can fix it. Why bother? And it becomes a nice excuse for us to do nothing. Now let somebody else do it. need to open our eyes. And then face your limitations. You can't fix all the problems. He doesn't expect, he doesn't expect Graceway Community Church to be the end-all and the be-all for all the problems of Middletown, Rhode Island. You can't do it. He's not expecting you to become a Messiah for the city of Newport or something like this. When you face your limitations, you realize that I can't do everything. Just like Peter said, you want some money. Well, I'm sorry. Silver and gold have I none. Facing your limitations is a recognition that there is something that I can do. I just need to find out what it is even though I can't do everything. And when we face our limitations, we're willing to be small and let God be big and let God work in our lives in ways that may surprise us. So as we face our limitations, we realize, but there is still something I can do. And friends, that's true of you. There is something you can do. There is a neighbor that you could help out. There is a child somewhere that needs to be adopted by a foster parent. There is someone who's suffering alone, doesn't have anybody to transport them or feed them or help them or help them figure it out. There is a little elementary school student who doesn't know how to figure out that math and doesn't have a dad. He just needs a mentor. You could be that mentor. There's something that you can do. And as we do something, we need to do what they did, which is to trust God. 
You say, well, I've never done anything like this before. I I don't think I could handle it, Pastor. Those problems are too big. I've I've never been trained. You could give all kinds of excuses. But what Peter and John did was to step out in faith and say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. They demonstrated their trust in God. You see, even though you've never been down that road and you've never done this before and you've never asked anybody how you could help or you've never really tried to care for them, Jesus has already done all those things. And he's living in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ can love them through you if you're willing. So we ask God to open our eyes, recognize that we're not the big answer, face our limitations, do something, do what we can, and then step out and do it in faith. Devote yourself to prayer. Show them that you care. If we stop there, you know what we'll be? We'll be a bunch of praying do-gooders. A lot of people want to be a do-gooder. Do-gooders ultimately don't change the world because there's only one person who can change the heart. That's Jesus Christ. So you see, our caring is important, but it's not the end of the story. The third thing we need to do is to be ready to share to talk to them about the one who is the answer. Now, you don't have to be a Christ follower very long to to get it. This is the big deal. This is what we're all supposed to be doing. This is our mandate. Jesus gave us this great commission. He told us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, that, that we should be doing this. And it's the big ugly word for a lot of Christians. Oh, evangelism, I don't do that. That's for somebody else. I don't know how to talk. and I don't know enough Bible verses. And I don't know how to get started. Nobody ever trained me for this. And, and it's not my personality. And it's your spiritual gift, not mine. We've got all these excuses for not talking about Jesus Christ. But if they don't hear about him, unless they preach, they'll never believe. So Jesus told us to do this, and so we might again ask the question, well, how did he do it? Let's do it the way Jesus did it. And if we're going to follow Jesus' example, who proclaimed the kingdom of God wherever he went, we'll need to do it the way Jesus did it. And how did he do it? First, lead with your deeds. Isn't that what Jesus did? Made water into wine, raised up the sick, touched the eyes of the blind, He did something. A number of years ago, Dr. Billy Graham called together Christians from all around the world for a great gathering in Switzerland, a little town called Lausanne, Switzerland. And out of the the days that those leaders met together, some very important things took place, including the development of what's called the Lausanne Covenant. It was a pledge, an agreement on the part of those leaders there to do what ultimately became sort of a slogan. The whole gospel being proclaimed by the whole church. The whole church proclaiming the whole gospel to the whole world. That's that's a Lausanne, Switzerland slogan. But in that Lausanne covenant, there's an interesting couple of phrases I want to share with you. It talks about the church and evangelism, and it says this, we affirm that Christ sends his redeemed people into the world as the Father sent him, and that this calls for a similar deep 
and costly penetration of the world. That is, it calls for us to penetrate the world around us. It goes on. We need to break out of our ecclesiastical ghettos. You know what that is? A ghetto is a confined space, like a neighborhood. Usually has negative connotations. It's used that way here deliberately that way. A ecclesiastical ghetto. Ecclesiastical means church. So he's saying we need to get out of the church ghetto. You know, we live our little life in this neighborhood of church. All of our friends are Christians. We're never everywhere anywhere else. A number of years ago, God convicted me that that was true about me as a pastor. How was I going to preach to people to get engaged with their world? And my whole world was church world. I spent all week counseling people, teaching people, preparing people, administrating things, and getting ready to preach. I had no friends outside of the church. I could play a musical instrument, so I joined the orchestra. <laughs> they became my mission field. And 19 years later, I'm still there. But see, God wants us to get out of our ecclesiastical ghettos and permeate non-Christian society. World evangelization requires the whole church, that's all of us, to take the whole gospel, that's Jesus in deed and word, to the whole world, to everyone who's ever needed to hear it, and that's every person. So that's what we need to do, evangelize the way Jesus taught us to do this. I'll give you an example of what it looked like in our particular congregation as we tried to move the dial and, and start living this out. And so we started asking the question. You know, we, we've been here 15 or 20, 40 years. It was 35 at that time. Like, suppose we folded up, closed up shop, just like, you know, ended the church. Would the city of Cranston even notice? Would they even care? Was there anything that we were doing that in their minds would say, well, well, I'm sure glad that church is there. So we started asking God, Lord, would you show us some way that we can connect? And God's answered that uh, prayer in a number of different ways. But one of the first ones had to do with a local elementary school. It's called the Stadium School. It happens to be in the part of Cranston where the highest percentage of kids are on the lunch program because the parents don't have any money to feed them. And so we developed a relationship with some of the leaders in that school. At first, there was suspicion, uh, church and state. You know, but we said, no, we just want to help. What can we do? And eventually, the principal said, well, I've got an idea. She said, you know, I don't know why any kid will want to even come to this school because it's so ugly. And outside the school, a bunch of overgrown yew bushes and weeds, and, and it was just like a mess. This is what it looked like after we did what God had led us to do. A year ago, May, on a rainy Saturday morning, about 100 volunteers, you can show the next slide, showed up to start doing a makeover at the school. We ripped out all the yew bushes. We brought in a truckload of flowering shrubs and evergreens and another truckload of bark mulch. And with all these volunteers, in the course of about six hours, we totally made over the school property. This is a picture of all the volunteers at the end of the day. And uh, we were just there, not with an agenda, like, you know, next we'll invite them all to church. Some of that's happened in a very natural way, but it was just we want to serve. That's what Jesus did. He came to serve. So we tried to, to lead with our deeds. But now the second thing about this 
is that we need to also share Jesus. We need to point to him. This is exactly what happened in this story. Did you pick that up? Down, you'd have to have read this before, but what happened was this man has been made whole, and he's leaping and he's praising God, and everybody knows, well, this is that guy that used to beg, that cripple. And they're wondering, what in the world happened? And so they start asking questions. How did this happen? And when they ask that question, Peter moves in, and he says, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you, it's in the name of Jesus that this man stands before you made whole. Friends, ultimately, our problem in our society is that people don't know who Jesus Christ is, and they don't know what he's done for them, and they don't know that he's really the Lord over their whole life. And they need to come to discover him as their king. And so what we need to be doing is, is point the attention ultimately onto Jesus. Now let me tell you how this happened at the stadium school. My friend Scott and a couple of other brothers from church and I were gathered around this tree. Uh, this is a picture of it after, but there was, there was nothing there but just dirt. We, we, we created this little planting bed and we're planting these little shrubs underneath this tree. We're on our knees and I noticed that across the tree, my friend Scott was chatting with this woman who had come along and she was on her knees digging in the dirt with us. But I didn't know who she was. So I said, hey, Scott, introduce me to your friend. So he stood up. He said, this is so-and-so. And, -so. and we, we get to converse with each other. And she says, my name is, I even forget her first name. She says, uh, I teach second grade here. And she looked up, pointed to a window. She said, that's my classroom. Really? I said, well, that's, that's really interesting. I said, uh, I said, I'm the pastor of the church, and, and you know, there's like a hundred of us, like I said, all over the place. I said, we're just having a great old time. This is a lot of fun uh, doing this. What happened next, I was totally unprepared for. You know what happened next? She starts to cry. And she says, why are you doing this? Why would you do this? I've got an answer. <laughs> Ultimately, it's because of Jesus Christ. We're here because of Him. We're trying to do what Jesus did. And that led to some other things that we could talk about. But you see, the deed created the goodwill, which led to the good words. It caused her to ask the question. Peter, who was right here and was involved in this, later wrote a letter, and he said, this is how it should work with us. That we live in a, in a way that adorns or decorates the gospel. And when that happens, people are going to ask you for a reason for the hope that is within you. And when they do, you'll have consecrated Christ as Lord in your heart and you'll be ready to tell them about Him. I wonder, friend, what's different about your life? What have you done? for someone in the last six months that would cause them to ask you, why are you doing this? Why do you do that? Why are you going there? Why are you helping me out like this? Why are you, why are you stopping what you're doing to pay attention to my little problem? Why are you and your friends coming to do this project over here? 
See, that's what we need to be doing is, is living our lives in such a way that they will ask. Now, we don't always necessarily wait for them to ask. I'm not saying that, you know, you just sit back and, you know, passively. But these are the moments that are most powerful is when we're asking the Holy Spirit, because we've been praying those kingdom prayers. Lord, would you be just making an opportunity? Would you open the door for me? Would you make a way for me in the most natural way to say, well, let me tell you about my best friend. Let me tell you about what changed my life. Let me tell you about how God introduced me to his, his son and, and, and knowing him as my friend, how he's helped me. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's what we need the desire to do. Point to Jesus. Now, as we do this, we need to make sure that we're also offering hope. Where does our hope come from? Peter gets at that down in verse 19, if you're still with me in the passage. He, as he's talking to them about how this all happened, he, he starts to turn the attention to them, and he says, Repent, therefore, in turn. Why? That your sins may be blotted out, and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Friends, society needs people to be doing good, but no good deeds are ever going to erase the big problem that everybody has, which is the problem of guilt. They have sinned. They have failed. They violated their own consciences. Even if they never heard the Ten Commandments, they know there's stuff that's not right. And it's that burden of guilt that only Jesus Christ can remove. That's why he went to the cross to carry the load of our sin and to let us have that freedom that we sang about earlier this morning. We need to be ready to tell people about that. Don't just say, Jesus gave me a great church and we have wonderful friends and you should come. Tell them, God gave me Jesus Christ and you know what he's done for me? He's removed from me this burden of guilt. I don't know about you, fellow, but I knew I wasn't right and I needed someone to cleanse me. Jesus did that. So you can, you can do that. You can tell someone about him. And not only that they can have their sins forgiven, but they can, as Peter says, experience times of refreshing from God. Later in verse 26, he alludes to this when he says that uh, God raised up Jesus and sent him to you to bless you, to bless you. That was his promise to Abraham. He's going to bless the nations of the earth. God wants us to be a blessing. Jesus is a blessing. Friends, you've got the gospel. It's the best news anybody could possibly have. You don't have to be ashamed of being a follower of Jesus. The world needs what we have. Homes need to be made whole. Husbands need to discover their new role. Wives need to learn how Jesus has loved them unconditionally. Children need to know they're important in the eyes of God. All these things flow out of the gospel and the message. We can take it for granted, but people need to hear this. And we've got it. We can share it with them. So we need to offer hope that's found in Jesus. And as we do, Guided by the Holy Spirit, with sensitivity to the moment, but at some point, we need to call for a decision. We need to ask the question, Bob, why wouldn't you put your trust in Jesus? You know, my dad, when I was growing up, my dad was not a follower of Jesus. My mom knew the Lord. She was a preacher's daughter, but my dad was unsaved up until the age he was 72. When he was 65, he had a stroke that incapacitated him, so he had to stay at home. 
My mom was still working. She was younger. And so my dad would be alone in the house. And some of the men from church learned that this was the case. And so they started going by the house to visit with him. Several of them over different periods of time. And in most cases, eventually they'd say, Hey, Armin, why don't we do a little Bible study together? And he was open-minded. Sure, we can do that. And they would do this little Bible study. And inevitably, they would ask him the question, Armin, would you like to put your trust in Jesus? No, I don't think so. No, no, I'm not ready for that. He just kept saying no. But sure enough, one of those days, one of those guys shared the gospel with him again and said, Armand, would you like to put your faith in Jesus Christ? He said, yes, I would. And he did. <laughs> and he went on 10 more years before God took him home. But you see, somebody asked him the question, would you like to put your trust in Jesus? Will you give your life to him? That's what we need to do. That's what the word repent means here. Turn, <laughs> change, give your life over to him. By the way, I don't want to take anything for granted in this crowd. What about you? You've been coming to church, maybe following your spouse, or you're here because your kids are, or whatever the reason, but what about you? Have you ever actually said to Jesus, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm lost, and apart from you, I'm never going to get right with God. Would you please come into my life and save me? Have you asked him to do that? Why wouldn't you do it today? I'm in his name. I'm here to ask you, would you put your trust in Jesus Christ? He'll bless you. And you'll never regret it. Devote yourselves to prayer. Show that you care. Be ready to share. So if we want to see the world changed, how's that going to happen? Friends, the way it's going to happen is if you let God change you and me. You need to become, first of all, a real praying Christian. When was the last time you actually prayed a prayer, said the name of one of your neighbors, said the name of that boss you don't like at work, said the name of the person who wants to take your job down the hall, said the name of that brother-in-law that you can't stand, said the name of your parents whom you resent for how they treated you. When's the last time you prayed for them and said, Lord, would you become their king? Would you reveal yourself to them? And when was the last time you asked God to show you something you could do? Some little practical way that a person could know that there's a follower of Jesus who's demonstrated his love to me. And when's the last time you ever asked someone if they knew your friend Jesus? If they knew what he'd done for you? So all you need to do is tell them what he did for you. That's what witness is. When's the last time you told anyone what Jesus did for you? If we'll allow the Holy Spirit to do those kinds of things, these walls won't hold the people that God could bring. And this city could see thousands come to faith. That's what many of us are praying for, is a real awakening to Jesus Christ, a real reviving work of the Holy Spirit where believers come alive, they start becoming salt and light to their world, and our world is changed until Jesus comes back. So I would like God to continue to work that change in me, and I hope that you would desire that for yourself, and I'd like to pray for both of us, for me and for you. Why don't you bow your head right where you are, 
And Lord God, we bring our lives before you. Thank you for this amazing story of what the power of Jesus Christ could do through a couple of fishermen whose lives were given over to you and who followed the example you gave them and who lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Make me that kind of follower of yours. Make that true of my brothers and sisters here in this congregation. Make this place a beacon light, a center of, of light and truth and hope and mercy to this little town. And make Jesus famous, really, really famous. What is Jesus Christ doing on Aquidneck Island? Lift up your name. May you have the glory, not us. We praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord. And God's people agreed and said, Amen. 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 Dave, thank you so much for sharing with that with us this morning. Um, family, I know that every individual in this place was challenged by that word. And um, and so what I want to encourage you to do is to take this with you and make sure that you decide upon a time and set aside time to let this resonate in your spirit. Meditate on this and, and pray through this. Uh, if you didn't take notes, then watch for it in the newsletter that will come out on Tuesday. And we'll make sure that the bullet points from the message are are in that newsletter and take some time to pray through this um, because what this does what what pastor dave has presented us is with this is take the message of the gospel that is changing me and we're always saying god help me with this god provide for me and essentially what the lord is there doing what jesus is saying i'm trying to help you let go and go help Go provide. Go serve. Because in our walk with Christ, as he disciples us and brings us closer to himself, we only go so far until we get to that point of go and tell somebody about him. Go and serve. And in that service, it deepens you. You grow as you show Christ to the world. And this is our challenge. It doesn't just come to us. It comes through us into this world. We are the change agents now because the Holy Spirit is alive in us, just like he was in Christ. And so his conviction works and flows through this world through you. Through you. So may the Lord go with you and bless you and strengthen you through this week. If you want to make that decision and make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today, uh, we're going to have people here up at the altar. Don't miss opportunity to come in and be prayed for and with and, um, and experience the life change that God has for you. We love you, family. The Lord be with you this week. Bless you. <laughs>